and 7. Uh, next week we will be gone and Jake will continue. I, I think he'll continue his series from Samuel. But he's been doing a lot of preaching and teaching, so he may pull something out of the warming drawer, as we like to call it. Uh, Bo calls it a sugar stick back there in the pantry. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure, um, but, but Jake will be here next week. So some of the issues that we'll discuss in Romans 6, uh, slavery to sin, uh, we'll follow up on that in, in one of the following sermons. So there's a, just a ton in here. Um, we introduced this concept of federal headship uh, two weeks ago. We've been talking about uh, federal headship that all of humanity is either under Adam or under Christ. And so we pick up on that. Now, as I, um, before we read it, I, I might have told some of you this, but uh, it was very uh, foundational to my thinking and part of my fears of being a pastor in 1995. Um, I had one year left of seminary. And um, again, the PCA small denomination uh, connected through other Reformed churches, but small in reference uh, to just about any other denomination. Uh, in St. Louis, we had two pastors take their own lives in 1995. Um, and one was, um, actually he was an EPC pastor, but he was, he was in our camp. Um, he had uh, been out fishing in Colorado and got ran over by a train and had two below the knee amputations. He was a very active young man, uh, dynamic speaker, prominent speaker, took his own life. Um, and another pastor took his own life. He had been wrestling with uh, sexual perversion and addiction and um, took his own life and wrote a letter about it. Both of them wrote letters about it. And what they expressed in their letters were, we're tired. We're tired of this fight. We're tired of being justified, being, I mean, these were theologically trained men. Of being declared one thing and yet wrestling with this other. And in that moment, in that decision, it seemed to them the easiest thing was just to end the fight by taking their own life. Um, I tell you that because Christians, we, we, we can't promote a church environment that, that doesn't deal with this, that, that, that says we, we have to put on a happy face and, and if you deal with this, you can't be a Christian. If you're struggling with this, you can't be a Christian. Um, we, and that's the beauty of Scripture. I mean, it just, it's, it's out there. It's in there. Our God says, uh, you are saved. And, and I quoted Keller, one of my famous, his, my favorite quotes of his in the email that went out. And it's, I'm getting ahead, but it's in Romans 7. He had a sermon that I listened to once a week for probably four years. Because I just needed to know it and believe it. And the quote from that sermon was, before you're a Christian, you're in a battle. You're in a battle and you're wrestling. You're in a battle with sin that you cannot win. You just can't win it. And that's why if we go to the world and the lost and say, uh, shape up, stop doing this, stop doing that, uh, then God will receive you. The world thinks that's our message. It still thinks that's our message. Right? They, just, they just 
people that when they meet me and they know I'm a preacher, you know I don't like people know I'm a preacher because it changes everything. It just does. So if I meet them in a restaurant or wherever, I don't want them to know I'm a preacher because I want to know who they are before they know I'm a preacher and think I hold the keys to death and hell. Um, but they say, yeah, I just need to get a few things straight before I come to church. Um, that's just not the scriptural gospel. Before Christ, and that's, that's Romans 1 to where we are now. Before Christ, everything we try fails. Everything we try fails. We are in a battle with sin, and we cannot win it. And I mentioned that to you before with my kids. When, when Luke did something or Jordan did something, you know, Anna never did anything wrong. Just when Luke did something or Jordan did something, and I'm like, why did you do this? And they would look at me and like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, they knew it was wrong, but they didn't know why they did it. Before Christ, we're in a battle with sin that we can't win. After Christ, we're in a battle with sin that we will not lose. But we're still in a battle. But we will not lose. Our God is for us and we will not lose. And I know there are probably people here today who think, I'm tired of this. Give me the magic pill. Can I get rebaptized? Can I move to a commune? Can I give me, I'm so tired of this. And I want to tell you, first of all, if that is you, the tiredness is God's Spirit living in you saying you're made for more. If you're not tired of it, if you don't battle it, if you don't come to the time of confession and have anything ever to confess, the chances are you are not born again. The chances are you're a pretty good person and everybody accepts you and morally you're upright and everybody thinks you're okay. But the chances are you should check to see, have I been born again? Um, and so that's where we are. And again, the, the placement is so, is so important. He's explained the gospel. He's given us in chapter 5 this wonderful bundle that we receive when we are saved. Beautiful justification. We stand in the presence of God. Our sins aren't counted against us. We are treated as His beloved children. All of that belongs to us. And now, and only now, do our sins start to bother us. And it makes sense relationally, doesn't it? It makes sense. We, we put on our best behavior. We meet someone. We love that person. We want them to think well of us. All of a sudden, because of relationship, what we do to them matters more than it did before we knew them. Right? And that's where we are in chapter 6. Uh, I remember those two pastors, and then a few years later when I was planning a church in California, uh, one of the pastors that was doing a bang-up job, I remember him coming to me one uh, week we used to meet, and he said, Kuiper, you need to help me. It's time to reinvent myself. <laughs> now, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, my church needs someone with some different characteristics and passions and, and, and what I wear and the language I use. And I'm like, uh, hey, I'm not the guy to help you with that. <laughs> I, I really don't know what you're talking about. The sermon this morning is titled Reinventing Ourselves. 
uh, because the Apostle Paul will talk about that as you are a new person in Christ, you've been resurrected with Christ. You are a different person. We'll pick up at verse five. This is the word of God. Please stand for its reading. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. And the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Now, of course, I'm not going to exhaust this passage. I'll spend most of our time on verses 11 to 14 uh, this morning. Uh, Verses 5 to 10 are very similar to the first four verses that we discussed last week. But just a couple things I want to point out in those first few verses. Um, he uh, He is explaining, he is unfolding the the benefits, the blessings of our union with Christ. And so I said these next chapters are going to be two theological concepts that he will go over and expound and drive deeper and deeper. One of them was the federal headship that Christians are now under under Christ and uh, we're not under Adam anymore. And, And you see that here too. You're not under law, Adam. You're under grace, Christ. So that, that'll, that'll work its way out. And, but the other thing is really this union with Christ. And I need to talk about it a little bit because in the U.S. there is a, a tremendous misunderstanding of this union with Christ. Uh, some, some make way too little of it. Some make way too much of it. And by that, uh, I mean some people will say, now that I am in Christ, now that I've been joined to him through my faith, the very words I say are as if Jesus is saying them. We are united with Christ in what he has accomplished for us. We are not little Jesuses with divine power. We don't make the waters part. right? We're not told in the scriptures that now whatever you say is as if Jesus himself said it. But we are united in a death like his, And we are united in a resurrection like his in reference to relationship with our God. We are united. And so in verses 5 to 10, he um, expands this logically. I love just the logical flow. If you've got your Bible open, just kind of follow along here. Um, Paul is now not just saying, 
in a, in a sense, what we should be, right? But really, since chapter 5, he's saying, this is what you are. Um, this is what you are. This is who you are, again, in Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, uh, I want you to understand that, that these blessings, he's saying, is for his people. Um, it's still important for you to listen and ask yourself, wow, would this be something great? I, 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 would, I would want this relationship with God. Um, but look how he says there are things that he is certain. If you're a Bible underliner, you can just say, we shall certainly, in verse 5. Verse 6, we know. Um, but then in verse 7, we believe. Verse 9, we know. Right? And so these, the, the knowledge of God and what he has done is to be combined with the faith. We know he has done this. Brothers and sisters, at the very basis of Christianity, what do we know? We know that God took on flesh. He dwelt among us. We know that. We know that he hungered. We know that he wept. We know that he was betrayed. We know that he faced a painful, bloody death. All of his followers, he was abandoned. He was forsaken. We know those things. Those are basic facts about Christianity that even non-Christian historians talk about this man named Jesus. But what do we believe? And so that's going to be this tension. Christian, it's going to be this tension. This has happened. This happened. You know, there was a day. There was a date. There was a time when Christ's physical body died. There was a date. There was a time when Christ's body was resurrected. If you're in Christ, there is a date. There is a time. The Reformed people believed that that, that date was set before you were even born. And God knew us as he knit us together. There was a date where you became his. And there is a date, O oh Christian, where you'll be resurrected. We know and we Believe. So uh, he goes through that. What does he know in verse 6? Our old self was crucified. Okay, back to that. In Adam or in Christ. Uh, in Adam, uh, our sins, our iniquities, it was crucified. Christ took it upon himself. Verse 5, we have been united with him in a death like his. We'll get back to the resurrection in just a second. But he says, you've been crucified, verse 6, in order that, there's a logical progression, in order that, why is he crucified? Why have you been crucified in Christ? In order that the body of sin would be brought to nothing. As one writer puts it, our sin-dominated body. Murray writes, the body is conditioned and controlled by sin. Stott writes, the body of evidence against us. We were crucified in Christ in order that the body of sin would be brought to nothing would lose its power. Uh, also, verse 6, so that, he continues logically, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Now, I'm going to tell you that this is an area of just complete misunderstanding and misrepresentation of Christianity. Christians aren't enslaved. We're not enslaved to the law. We're free. Apart from Christ, every human being is enslaved to their emotions, to the culture, to their feelings, to the opinions of others. They're enslaved to sin. They do their best to try and get out of it, and they don't, and they, they just end up saying, I'm going to surround myself with people that sin just in the same way I do. Love the same things, throw their lives after the same things as I do. They're enslaved. He's saying that, 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 that body, the crucifixion, 
our slave master has no, no power over us. Uh, so that, verse 6, we're no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 7, this death had to happen uh, first. The death had to happen before the resurrection. Right? And, and again, that's how it's laid out in Romans. That's the gospel presentation. You were dead to sin, but you were alive in Christ Jesus. His spirit comes and he breathes life into the dead souls. In Ephesians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Titus, the kindness of God comes to us and breathes life. But there has to be a death before there is a life. We have to die to sin. We have to repent of not just our sinfulness, but really our attitude and our rebellion against God Almighty. This death had to happen first. The sins are taken away. Death precedes resurrection. In verses 8 to 10, he says, We know and now we believe. Uh, this happens to us. Um, and now we are free. So that's verses 5 to 10, kind of setting up um, really the second part, 11 to 14. You think about verses 11 to 14, um, uh, being, uh, here's how we do it. Here's how we live in it. Five to ten, here is what has happened. This is what's happened to you. If you're in Christ, the, this thing has happened. And, and verses uh, 11 to 14, it's really kind of a step-by-step instruction of then, how do we live this new life in Christ? Uh, what does this con- conceptually mean for us? <clears throat> we know for students of the New Testament, that, that when Christ arose from the dead, uh, his disciples became new men, right? I mean, it's an amazing transformation that happens to them because of the resurrection, because of what they've experienced and what they saw and what they know happened. They went from being afraid of a servant girl to dying being crucified, being flogged, being beaten, being thrown in prison, being in stocks in prison and singing praise and worship tunes. They were changed. They had a new life. Resurrection to them, it freed them. They were no longer afraid of death in the physical sense or the spiritual sense. Death had no power over them. They were not enslaved. Even when the religious leaders beat them and said, don't speak of Christ anymore. What did they do? They looked at him and they said, you, you, you beaten me. You judge for yourselves. But am I going to obey you? Or am I going to obey God? Um, And so that's what we get in 11 to 14. How then do we live in this? And the sermon and sentence this morning is, uh, it's really right, right out of the text. Since the Christian has been resurrected with Christ, we must strive to walk in this new life. And so in the last few weeks, we've talked about this walk of life kind of being characterized by three things our pursuits right what are we what are we pursuing in life what are we trying to gain or win or prove uh, this new life as a resurrected believer in Christ the pursuits are different it, it is it is not self it is his righteousness his kingdom his glory uh, we talk about things that we serve no longer are we slaves to sin you know what else we're not slaves to our jobs our spouses our country, our political party, our football teams, 
or colleges. We're not enslaved to those anymore. They, we don't serve them. We don't serve idols. We sure have jobs. We sure like our football teams. We sure like our kids, right? But we don't serve them. They're not masters over us anymore. They find their rightful place and are able to flourish because they no longer define us. Uh, and, you know, it, it, so it's pursuit, serving, and, and sowing. We don't have to sow fig leaves to cover ourselves. None of our righteous acts are to cover ourselves, um, but to bless. Um, and so, um, as, as we look at these verses, I really want to think of these. I kind of came up with three words that begin with R. In verse 11, we are told to reckon. In verse 12, we talk about the rain. And in verse 13, we are called to relinquish. Uh, verse 11, in the uh, positive, you know, so the argument's positive, it's negative, and then it's passive. Verse 11, it's a positive argument. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why is he saying this? Be because we will be tempted to not do that. Right? This person's a Christian. <laughs> he's writing to Christians, and he's saying again, first person plural, we. He's preaching not just to the choir, he's preaching to the preacher. Right? We must not consider ourselves alive to sin and dead to God. We must reckon ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. You must see yourself this way. You must take on this mindset. You must see yourself as reinvented in Christ. We have a new life. We are freed to a new life. It is positive. Right? John 10.10 10, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Oh, Christian, our attitude to the lost world is not one of hate and anger. It is one of compassion and sorrow and rescue and humility. Without Christ, the enemy seeks to kill, destroy, lie, redefine, abuse. He says for us, our King came that we would have life we would be free to a new life. I have come, he says in John 10, 10, that they might have life and have it abundantly or have life to the full. And so uh, we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. So think of these two pictures, uh, dead, to, dead to sin, crucifixion, right? What happens with the crucifixion is a believer is justified, believer is declared righteous. A believer looks at that cross and says, I believe that my sin has been paid for in full by Jesus, fully God, fully man. I have been justified in the courtroom of God. I will be declared not just sinless, but I will be declared righteous. In resurrection, the Christian has sanctification, right? I will become. I am freed from the power of this to become. And it is going to be painful, and it's going to be time-consuming, and it's not going to happen like that. My justification happened in a moment. My sanctification is ongoing for the rest of my life. He is seeking to make me beautiful. It has to go in that order. 
right? And when I say things are confusing, they're confusing out in the world because we put sanctification before justification. We tell people, get your life right. Confess, stop doing this, stop doing that, and God will count you righteous. And what we're doing is we're, we're, we're taking away the tool that helps them be sanctified. What helps them be sanctified is the cross. I'm declared righteous. Whatever this friend points out, whatever this preacher points out, whatever the word and the spirit points out, it's not to take this away. It's to bring this life free from bondage. Crucifixion, justification, death happens, resurrection, sanctification, new life. Maybe think of it this way. Uh, crucifixion is the caterpillar, right? Crucifixion is just the, it's the caterpillar, right? It's bound to the laws of gravity. It eats leaves, it falls off trees, it gets stepped on. Resurrection is the butterfly. Crucifixion is the tadpole. Resurrection is the tree frog. Right? It, 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 it is a new life. And it is bigger and it is more full. You ever think a butterfly wants to go and become a caterpillar? Heck no. They flat around those bushes and they're like, hey, suckers. <laughs> Ooh, watch out. Hold on. Right? I mean, it, it's, God has given us nature to express this wonderful truth. New life. Crucifixion in the scriptures, he says, it's the, it's the seed. And resurrection, it is the fruit. In John 12, Jesus says, I say to you, truly, truly, if a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, uh, I'm sorry, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it does, it bears much fruit. You know what he says after that? Whoever loses his life, And whoever hates his life in this world will have it for eternity. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Luke 9, take up your cross and follow me. Matthew 16, take up your cross and follow me. Now, what does that mean for us? It does mean that in Christian community, we look and celebrate the wings. Right? When we see the butterfly, when we see the maturity, we celebrate those things. Uh, it doesn't mean we're legalistic. Okay? And, and, so, and so calling sin, sin is not legalism. We are not saying, here is a sin, therefore you are not saved. Right? We, are, we are calling sin out to have it removed, to have it stained in its punishment, to have it crucified, put back on the cross, and, and to, as brothers and sisters in community, encourage one another on towards new life. It is being critical. And the gospel calls us to have a critical mind. How does he do it? Jesus says, look at the log in your own eye. Right? But he doesn't say, don't worry about the splinter in someone's eye. He's like, once you have grasped what your justification is, what the cross means to you personally, then you are in the right mindset to talk about the splinter 
in your brother's eye. A tree, a tree is known by its fruit. The fruit doesn't save us. The fruit identifies us. Even so, you are to reckon, you are to count yourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. So that's the positive. Count yourself this way. In verse 12, you get the negative. Because of this, he says, don't let sin reign. It's the negative side. Don't go back to that master to define you, to enslave you. Don't go back to that. Now, I've got two illustrations here. One is Jingle Bear. My son Luke has uh, had a teddy bear called Jingle Bear. He had that teddy bear long before boys are supposed to have teddy bears. He wouldn't get rid of his teddy bear. He'd be called to uh, a slumber party with a bunch of other 12-year-olds, and in his backpack, there'd be Jingle Bear. You know, he's just walking to us. And I remember one day, Jordan's like, Luke, how can you do that? Right? So each of my sons had different issues. Their old life, new life, different issues, right? Jordan's like, how could you do that? I can never take a teddy bear to a sleepover. Now, Luke, he says, Jordan, that, that's because you're a slave. <laughs> you're a slave, Jordan, to what your friends think. You're a slave to uh, being cool and having them... And I'm not. And I remember specifically, he walked out the door, and Jordan looked at me, and he goes, I wish I wasn't a slave. <laughs> I wish I didn't. And, and Luke just nailed him with it, right? This is just, you, you're, sorry, Jordan. You're a slave. Now, Luke was a slave to some other things. Being cool and being able to take a jingle bear to a bunch of boys and not have them worry about it. He was a slave to other things. But um, we are to not let that master reign over us. And I've told you about the Weimaraner that I took to a rescue, although I think my kids still think I took him to the pound. Um, but the Weimaraner, one of the things he would do, we'd wash him of all his stink, and he would immediately run outside and roll in his most recent turd and come to the door wagging his tail like, uh-huh. Right? And, and, and that's exactly one of the ways the Lord describes it. It's like a dog going back to its vomit. We, we can't allow ourselves to be ruled by that slave master. Now, I want to point out two things in this. One, that there is a difference between temptation and sin. Okay? There's a difference between temptation and sin, and there has to be. Why? Because Jesus himself was tempted. In every way, we were tempted. Temptation is not sin. Um, and so sometimes Christians... They almost give up with this slave master and go back to it. And here's how the thinking goes. Uh, I've prayed to God to take this temptation away. And he hasn't. And I've been a pastor a long time, and I know that's many of your struggles. I've got this, sometimes we call them besetting sins. I've got this, this issue it just seems to kind of keep me from growing to Christ. And I have asked him. The Apostle Paul again tells us he asked three times that a thorn would be taken from him. And our God's response to him is beautiful. No. Why? Why, God? For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. But sometimes Christians we, we deal with it this way. 
I've asked God to take away the temptation because I'm powerless against it. God, will you change my feelings? Will you change my longings? And until you do that, God, I'm going to feel free to keep sinning. And, and part of it is the culture and the nature and the world we live in, which tells us if you feel something, if your heart wants something, then you can't deny your heart. We hear it all the time, not just in Disney movies and pop music. We hear it all the time. If you feel this way, if you think this way, you can't deny that. Well, let me tell you, um, it's not wrong to act out of accord with your heart and your feelings. right? We expect you to act out of accord with your hearts and your feelings if you drive a car. Right? You drive a car. I told you, Tammy has a word from when you guys cut her off. It's not a bad word, but it is in her mind. It's her own word, way of cursing. She'll call you buddy. Hey, buddy. Come on, buddy. I mean, our kids love it. She pulled a buddy out. That guy just got buddied, right? You got to control your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts if you drive a car. You also got to control your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings if you ever want to play golf. Right? I mean, I have this YouTube, I have this uh, Instagram feed, and it's all golfers behaving badly. And I just watch it, and I just die laughing. You know, it's guys breaking clubs, throwing their entire set of clubs in a lake. Right? Guys getting in fistfights with their best friend because they laugh about how they duff the drive. Right? We, we know it in order to mature as humans. We have to deny our bodies. We have to deny our thoughts. We have to trust in something bigger and greater than ourselves. And so he says, oh, you have been rescued. Christ has died on your behalf. You've been raised to life. Don't go back to that master again. But we see it, right? Israel says, oh, boy, let's just go back to Egypt. The second thing is there is an overwhelming difference, and please hear this, between failing to be perfect and letting sin rule your life. Right? Uh, th those are not the same things. Oh, Christian, we will not be perfected in this life. We, we, we will not be perfected in this life. But letting sin reign is denying that sin is sin. It is denying that what God's word said is true, even if everyone else says it's not. It's true. And I must hold myself to it. And now then he emphasizes this idea of the physical body, and that's, that's partly where most of our struggle comes from. The physical body, it's not to rule. It's not to reign. It is not your king. Not just in the Christian life, but in everybody's life, Right? Don't let your body dictate your decisions. All right, think about this. If a child is, is born and, a, and is allowed to dress how they want, right, early on, my daughter, she'd get clothes and she'd bring her out before me. Tammy go, let's see what dad thinks. Let's see what your brothers think. It's funny because it turned on Tammy once. She bought this sweatshirt, right? And she came back with it and the boy's like, uh, mom, that's what the trashy girls wear at Tupelo High School. She's like, but I like it. Mom, no. 
Right? If we let a child, let's say we let a child dress how they want to dress, eat only when and how they want, sleep, be awake only when and how they want, watch whatever they want, read or not read what they want, we won't just end up with a child that's a lazy glutton, but a terrible friend, a worthless spouse, a lousy employee. So even beyond Christianity, we know that in our nature, that we can't just give in to what our bodies want. From the earliest outset with my children, I said, boys, daughter, you will have to control your desires. That's maturity. It doesn't just get over when you say, I do. You will have to control your desires. It will be a lifelong battle. He says, don't let that enemy. Uh, lastly, in the, in the, in the kind of uh, passive voice, he says in verse 13, then relinquish yourselves to God or present yourself to God. On the positive side, live the new life. Grab a hold of it, relish it. The freedom in Christ the negative side, don't go back, don't go back to those slave masters. And then on the passive side, relinquish, present, he says, a couple times in verse 13, present your members as instruments, not as sin, but for righteousness. Uh, the Greek there is, is like, uh, you're, it's really referring to your, your arms, your arms as instruments of righteousness. It's important to remember this. Our, he's not saying our bodies are bad. The flesh is bad. We're not Buddhist or Gnostics. Our bodies, though they will die, are here and now to be given to God, to be served our God. Uh, I'm going to skip a couple other passages. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about being bought with a price, um, that there's a, there's a reason for it. Um, but physically, to please God, we relinquish. We turn ourselves over. We trust Him to lead. Um, you know, um, a married man can live as though single, but it doesn't work. We have been bought with the precious blood of our Savior, and He has redeemed us, not just our spirits for uh, when we die, but our very lives here. So He says, entrust relinquish control and even think about this even in the body what does he say all the time it's our head right our, our mind is what to think and how to lead us our eyes what we look at our ears scotty's been going through the the churches of revelation each time he says do you have an ear you get an ear so that you can hear you can pay attention you can learn our mouths to speak our arms to serve care and protect our legs to take us on bodily godly pursuits we don't let sin reign. We reckon ourselves as new in Christ and we relinquish our bodies. We present our bodies to Christ. In verse 14, he closes uh, with this idea of sin's not going to have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. As I said before, you, you can't imagine a butterfly ever wanting to go back to being a caterpillar. Um, and I mentioned Pharaoh and Moses, but, but the, the book of Numbers and Exodus is this beautiful picture of our God rescuing people from slavery. 
He rescues them from slavery. They wander, they fight, they want to go back. But he is adamant. I will keep my promises. I will keep my covenant. You will come to the promised land. Um, under Pharaoh, under the old master, they're slaves. They build pyramids. Under Moses, they're freed. He brings them the law. They're freed. They build the tabernacle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray these concepts would be for all of us life-giving. Oh, Holy Spirit, will you help us free our minds and our hearts and even the way we look at ourselves, Lord, from the bondage of the slaveries of the flesh. May we grasp a hold of the wonderful blessing of our justification. That sin has no control, it does not define us. And may we, Father, see ever more truthfully and deeply the freedom in Christ. It is not a bondage to your law, it is finally a freedom to grow into the creatures you created us to be. Free from the worries, the strains and the stresses of those who live in bondage, is your word, those who live in darkness. May we long for righteousness to be uh, the marks of our lives. May we see fruit, Father, not in order to uh, make us proud, but Father, in order to uh, just feel the joy of presenting gifts to you, our master. And now, Father, will you set these elements aside? May we see uh, this bread as the new life, the body of Christ being raised. And may we drink this cup as the cup of crucifixion, the blood that was spilt on our behalf to cleanse us from sin and its consequences. The body given that is now ascended, sitting at your right hand and waiting until the day that we are all united in Christ. Oh, help us, Lord Jesus, we ask. Amen.